Well, in Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul writes, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I struggle with this. Never lacking in zeal, keeping my spiritual fervor. I mean, sometimes we can be on fire with God, can't we? Bursting with enthusiasm and desire. But other times we're just going through the motions, tick the right boxes, say the right things. Now, God knows we're like this. He knows that at different times we need different words from him. And so in the Bible, God speaks warmly to us because sometimes we need an encouraging word from God, a reassuring word. But in the Bible, God also speaks firmly to us because, well, sometimes we need a good kick up the pants from God. We need him to send a rocket our way to get us back on track. Now, we're looking at Psalm 95 this morning as we continue to look at the six most quoted psalms in the New Testament. And Psalm 95, I don't know whether you noticed, but it's got something for everyone. Maybe this morning uh, you're someone who could do with some encouragement. Uh, Maybe you're weary, you're struggling, uh, still yearning for God but weak. Well, Psalm 95 has some wonderful, comforting truths to spur you on. But maybe in all honesty you could do with a rocket. Uh, You're finding yourself a bit at the edges when it comes to you and God. You're drifting in your loyalty to him. Maybe you're even grumbling against him. Well, Psalm 95 will press home a stern warning to you to get you back on track. So let's have a look. First thing we need to do is to note the context of the psalm. And uh, from a couple of weeks ago, hopefully you'll remember that the psalms aren't random. Uh, It's not just a collection of the greatest hits of Israel. Uh, The Psalms, they're actually a unified whole uh, with a unified story and theme running right the way through it. Within the Psalms, there are five books. Psalm 95 comes in book four. And so in order to appreciate it, we need to know what's come in books one to three. So uh, up on the screen, uh, last week uh, we saw that uh, book one is concerned mainly with David. He's the anointed king, uh, him suffering and struggling. Book two continues with King David uh, struggling, but it just gets worse. Book three then marks a shift away from God's human king to God as king, with the book even closing with the rejection of God's human king. And so book four zeroes in exclusively on God as king. David has left the scene. Because God, because the human kings have failed and instead Moses appears in book four. Because Moses takes us back to a time where there weren't any of these floundering kings of Israel. Back to a time when God clearly demonstrated that he was king over all the earth. Book four in the Psalms celebrates God as the great king and sets our hope on him. And it's in book four that we find Psalm 95. So let's now look at the content of this psalm. Uh, It's actually quite a simple psalm, I think. Uh, Three times, Psalm 95 says, this is what you should do. And each time it says, and this is why. And it all hinges on God being the great king. So let's have a look at the first one. And as I read from verse 1, look for what God's people are to do and why they are to do it. Okay, what they're to do and why they're to do it. Verse 1, come. Let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. 
in his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. So in verses 1 to 2, hopefully you saw it, we see what God's people are to do. and They're to sing for joy. They're to shout to the Lord. They're to thank him and praise him and declare the greatness of God. They're to bubble over with excited gratitude. And in verses 3 and 4, we're told why. It's because God's the great king above all gods. He alone rules over all things. He's the one who made all things, the sea and the land, and he made them as a gift for us. As we saw last week, looking at Psalm 8, God gave creation to us to rule over and to enjoy. So the sky, the grass, the rain, the land, an abundant place to live, it's all God's handiwork and it's his gift to us And so because of God's majesty and his generosity, we're to thank and praise him in exuberant joy. Back in 1997, when uh, Catherine and I were still courting, there was a time when I lived in Leeton and Catherine lived in Geelong. They're about 530 kilometres apart. Now, I would travel down to Geelong uh, once every three or four weeks, but on this particular weekend, Catherine was coming up to me. And when Catherine arrived, she immediately held out a present for me. So there I was, with the girl of my dreams, who's just driven more than 500 kilometres to see me, has bought a present purely for me, and the first words that stumbled out of my mouth, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> what an idiot. Back then, I was a serious tightwad, and so I thought Catherine had wasted her money buying a present for me. Actually, back then, I was a serious goose, wasn't I? I was, I was pretty dumb that day. Catherine had driven 500 kilometres, bought me a present, and I grumbled instead of being grateful. Now, God made the world, and he gave it to us, to humanity. He gives it to us every day. And so as Psalm 95 says, we should bubble over with gratefulness. We're to shout and to sing and to thank and to praise. And it's not hard to work out that Psalm 95 is talking about more than just giving thanks before a meal, isn't it? Saying grace is good, but... If that's the extent of your thanksgiving to God, that's well short of the shouting and the singing of Psalm 95. It's an attitude thing. It's having a spirit of gratitude in your heart to God. It's being grateful to him at all times and in all things and telling him that you're grateful. And with this attitude, you'll probably find yourself singing louder at church. You'll sing along to Christian music at home. Anything that helps you thank and praise God, you'll be happy to join in because God is the great king, the one who has made all things and given them to us and we receive them gladly. Then in verse 6, the psalm moves on to the second thing that God's people are to do. And this time, it's worshipping God. Verse 6. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. That's what God's people are to do. Now, for some, the idea of bowing down and kneeling before someone is degrading. Uh, It conjures up pictures of being trampled on and used and treated with contempt. But that's not the picture here. Look at it again and look for the reason why God's people are to fall before him. Verse 6 again. Come. Let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. God's people are to bow down and worship and kneel before God because 
Well, God is their God. The great king above gods, this God of power who spins the world like a top and molds mountains as if they were Play-Doh, this great king has a people that are his very own treasured possession, a people of his pasture, a flock under his care. For Israel, the original readers of this psalm, the time when God made them his special people was the exodus, when God came down to rescue them from slavery at the hands of the Egyptians and to lead them into an abundant promised land. It was good to be God's people, the flock under his care. And what was true for Israel back then is so much more true for you and I, this side of the cross of Christ. In the Lord Jesus, God has truly come down and made us his people. Jesus took on flesh to die our death that we might become God's dear children. Through the cross, Christ has saved us from sin and brought us to God and guaranteed us the true promised land, the coming new creation, and it'll be ours to enjoy for eternity. In Christ, the God of the universe has made us the people of his pasture, the flock under his care, and that is so terrifically good. Through Christ, God is our great king. And so, as it says in Psalm 95, it's, it's our delight to worship him. In complete submission, we love to orientate our entire lives around God. We live for him. All our decisions and plans, dreams, hopes, desires, thoughts, words, everything that we have, everything that we do is for God in worship, in glad, humble obedience to him because we're his people the flock under his care. Now, maybe you're one of the people sitting here today who needs encouragement. Maybe today God feels distant to you. Maybe your constant efforts in serving others is becoming burdensome. Maybe strained or broken relationships are eating away at your life. Or you're overcome with anxiety over people that you love. You're not sure if they'll be the same or if they'll get through whatever it is. Perhaps there's friends or family members that you know who are drifting away from Christ and you seem helpless to help them. Maybe there's a sin you're struggling with and it always feels like one step forward, two steps back. I don't know what things you're working through at the moment, but God's word of encouragement to you this morning, if you're Christian, is that the God who made everything, he's your God. And you are his child. And you're part of the flock under his care. In Christ, he's, he's brought you to himself. And he knows you by name. And he's forgiven you of your sin. And so wherever you're at this morning, given this is who God is, well, what more could you want? God's our great king. And not just great in the sense of being big and powerful, but great in the sense of being wonderful, good, glorious. He made us. He gave us the world. He sent Christ to die for us. God's love and his care and his generosity, you can't measure them. God is the great king, and in Christ he's our great king. So, of course, we'll thank and praise and worship him. But look, just in case that doesn't work for you, if your heart's failing to be stirred by the goodness of God to you, well, then maybe you're in danger of having a hard heart. 
and the dangers of having a hard heart. Well, they're terrifying. And so the psalm closes with a stern warning to get us back on track. Psalm 95 ends by recalling the time when God had just rescued Israel out of Egypt with his powerful ten plagues, but that as soon as Israel was free, with hard hearts, they grumbled against God. And God will not take that sort of attitude. Verse 7, have a look, Psalm 95, verse 7, right at the end of it, right at the end of verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they'd seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Through the Exodus, God had rescued Israel out of slavery. He was taking them into the wonderful promised land, but as soon as they were free, they grumbled against God, refusing to listen to his word, and so God refused them. Instead of entering into the pasture of the promised land, that generation of Israelites wandered around the desert until they died. They never entered God's rest. They didn't go to a place of freedom to enjoy God in his goodness. And as bad as it was for them to miss out on God in the promised land, this warning is ramped up to the nines when the New Testament gets its hands on it. To look at the quotation of the psalm by the New Testament, turn across to Hebrews chapter 3 with me, please. Hebrews 3, it's right towards the back of your Bibles, towards the end of the New Testament. At the start of Hebrews 3, the writer's been showing how Jesus is far greater than Moses. In chapter 2, the writer's been showing how the salvation that comes through Jesus is far greater than the salvation that came through Moses. Everything with Jesus is far bigger, far better which means that getting it wrong with Jesus is far worse and more terrifying. So Hebrews chapter 3, and if you're looking there from verse 7, you can see that the last part of Psalm 95 is quoted in full. It's all there. And then from verse 12, it's used as an example for us not to follow. That generation of Israelites had hard hearts, and so they never entered God's rest, whereas we... Well, have a look. Chapter 3, verse 12. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice... Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Today, you are hearing God's voice. Right now, we're listening in on the word of God, telling us of Jesus, who alone can save us from sin and death and hell. And so today, don't harden your heart. Don't sit there and think you've heard all this before. Don't harden your heart to Jesus by fobbing him off yet again. The Israelites of the Exodus hardened their hearts. They ignored the word of God. They did not trust him and so they died in the desert. They didn't go into the promised land to enjoy God. And if we do the same, well, we won't just die in the desert, but God will send us to hell. 
We won't share in God's eternal rest. We won't go to the new creation to enjoy God. Which brings us to the lesson of the psalm. Because the promise of entering God's rest, that promise still stands. Just as Israel had the promise of going into the rest, so do we. But ours is much greater. It's the coming new creation. Since that promise still stands, we need to be careful that none of us miss out. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1. Chapter 4 of Hebrews verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. The lesson of the psalm is that the promise of God's rest still stands. And so we're to be careful that none of us fall short of it, that none of us miss out. Now, please notice the corporate nature of this lesson. It's not that God's promise of rest still stands, so make sure you get in. It's God's promise of rest still stands, so make sure everyone else gets in. We're to be careful that none of us fall short of it because it doesn't get better than this. God in all his goodness, in an eternal new creation, where we're forever the people of God's pasture and the flock under his care, never disturbed by enemies, never struggling with sin, never cut short by sickness or death, so that we can thank and praise and worship God, our great King, forever. It doesn't get better than this. Which means that the worst thing that could happen is for one of us to miss out. And so we're to be careful that none of us are found to have fallen short of it. Now, how can we do that? Well, the book of Hebrews says we're to do it by encouraging each other to keep our confidence in Christ, by reminding each other of our great God, by spurring one another on to fix our eyes on Jesus so that we'll keep our faith in him and live for him and obey him. Now, this is more than just having nice cups of tea together. This is more than helping a mate with some backyard project. It's seeing that every one of us here will keep living for and trusting in Christ. It's reminding each other of the scriptures when we talk together. It's talking about the Bible talk over morning tea here at church. It's applauding one another when we make decisions to live for Jesus. It's being thankful for someone else's efforts to keep you loyal to Christ. It's getting together to read the Bible and pray with someone during the week. It's being committed to the people in your growth group. It's taking note of who's here and who's not at church so that if people don't show up for a while, you can find out if anything's going wrong. It's, it's stepping out of comfort zones and meeting new people at church so you can get to know them because it's hard to encourage them if you don't know them. It's warning one another when one of us looks like drifting away from Jesus. It's rebuking each other when we sin. It's forgiving others when they repent of doing the wrong thing to you. It's asking for forgiveness when you're the one who has wronged others. It's about believing that Jesus Christ is the only way any of us can enjoy God forever. And so doing whatever you can to help the other people in this room either stay Christian or become Christian because we're a church family and God is our great king and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care and the promise of entering his rest still stands. And so together, let's thank and praise and worship God 
our great King. I'll pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the great King above all gods, that there is in the end none but you. And thank you that in Jesus you are our great King, that you have made us your own dear children, that we are the people of your pasture and the flock under your care. Father, we're asking that you would stir our hearts with yourself, that we would delight in you, that we would shout your praises, we would sing for joy, we would worship you in obedience. Protect us, please, Father, from having hard hearts. Thank you that your promise of entering your rest still stands and that through Christ all has been done that we might enter into that rest. Father, please help every single one of us to keep trusting in Jesus, that we might enter into your rest by your grace, for your praise. Amen.